Hey, this is Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. I'm Yolando. And I'm Kate, and we're here to talk about what we're preaching about this week, what we're thinking about, and what astonishes us. So Hinton, what are you preaching about this week? The Bible. No, No, I am uh, looking at um, Mark chapter 10, uh, Bartimaeus, blind, sitting on the side of the road. Jesus is passing through Jericho for the last time. He is on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified. And Bartimaeus um, understands that Jesus is passing by. And so he seizes this opportunity to cry out to Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And people try to quiet him, but he cries out even more, have mercy on me. And Jesus says, call him here. and. Um, he asked Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus says, Rabbi, I want to see. And he receives his sight and then follows Jesus. And we're, we're, we're looking at that text to call people to, um, uh, yeah, I mean, a faith after, that seizes. <laughs> well, yeah, I just can't. I, I was just, just going to say, like, after hearing you talk about it this morning, I totally want to preach about Bartimaeus this week because I think that is such an amazing story for a church to hear and think about all the implications. Yes, because God gives us these opportunities. Like wherever we are in life, by God's gracious providence, we have these amazing opportunities to cry out to Jesus, to uh, step into faithfulness. And so often what we're doing is we're saying, you know, one day I'm gonna, one day I'm gonna do this, one day I'm gonna do that. And Now is the time um, to cry out, to step into faithfulness. Well, and we talked about how, like, I love in that story, there's so much honesty about the resistance, that when you do that, there's going to be resistance, and how Bartimaeus perseveres. Yes. (laughs) Nevertheless, he persisted, and he keeps calling out. And I think the implications for a church, like we were just talking about your church and my church, being in transition, constantly wanting Mm -hmm. to be more and more faithful. Um, to be able to say that that story has implications for us as a faith community about how we get healing from Jesus. Yeah. Like how and how new life and rebirth comes into our community um, that we ask for it. We mm. don't make it. Um, and you talked about the different ways, the factors. Like I was super excited when you yeah. talked about the three things you're going to highlight. Yeah. And as soon as I hit record, I forgot everything. Okay. No, well, but, let me tell you. But, but here's what I do remember. That... You know, one of the things that is amazing about the text is Bartimaeus is blind and he knows it. Yes. He knows yes. that he is not able to heal himself and no one else around him is. And so he cries out to the one, right? Yeah. Capital O-N-E, the one who can heal him. Yeah. And Jesus. I think that and so often we want new life in our church, but we aren't willing to tell the truth about our impairment, about our unhealth. Mm -hmm. And so we're not asking for healing. Mm -hmm. And so we can't be healed if we're not asking for healing. And that is a really important thing. And we're so quick to point the finger at everyone else. You know, those people should be going to church or those people should be doing Mm -hmm. that. And instead of saying like, no, I mean, Bartimaeus knew he had a problem Mm -hmm. and he knew he couldn't fix it. Mm -hmm. And he was unashamed about asking for help, for healing, for salvation. Um, And when other people... When that made other people uncomfortable, he kept crying out. And that, I think, is true, too. Like, if we really ask for healing, Mm. it's going to make other people uncomfortable, either 
just because it's a disruption of the status quo, right? And other people are comfortable with our unhealth. That's right. And so yeah. A, step number one is to know you're blind, to, to know there's a problem, and then to be crying out for healing and not, you know, and, and expect those voices and to keep persisting and crying out. Because I think watching something be reborn, I mean, and I see this all the time, I mean, not everyone, and it's and often in the miracle, there's backlash to the healings. Other people are not happy that the, the miracle has happened in their mm. midst because it opens up all kinds of uncomfortable questions mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. the status quo in our lives and what right. we're tolerating. And so, you know, when we cry out for healing, there will be resistance and we can't just go, oh, okay, I'm sorry. I'll wait for a more opportune time. This yeah, and time. I would add not only resistance outside of ourselves, but the voice within our own heads right. saying, mm, maybe I shouldn't um, cause such a disruption. Maybe, right. maybe I should just be okay with the way things are. Yeah. And I think that is so great. And you said before you were talking to the church about saying like, now is the time and here is the place and we're going to cry out for healing. Yeah. Cause in all of our churches, either Jesus brings new life or it ain't coming. That's right. <laughs> so, we right. are impaired. Mm-hmm. And nobody wants what we can make for the world. So either Jesus is going to show up in our midst and do something miraculous Mm -hmm. and bring new life, not a remodel, Mm -hmm. but radical new life, or it's not going to happen. And really, um, that's okay, because for our plans to succeed is not important. Um, And what we need to do is make ourselves totally vulnerable. And I just like thinking about Bartimaeus taking the risk of asking Mm -hmm. to be healed without knowing if Jesus was going to hear him without knowing if Jesus was going to yeah. say yes, like that's so poignant to me because like, I feel like that's where we are. Yeah, as- when we pray, it's often, um, Lord, give me strength to make it through the day, encouragement to make it through, through the day. And those are not bad things, no. but it takes a lot of faith to say, heal me well, and to courage. trust and to trust that I will get God's best whether I see a physical healing or not. Right. And in our churches, it takes courage to tell the truth that we need healing. We need wholeness. We need new life. So things are not as they should be. Um, It's nobody else's fault or responsibility, but ours Mm -hmm. um, to, to seek repentance and new life. And then, you know, to have the courage to ask, put yourself out there. I mean, because Bartimaeus is on the street screaming. I mean, obviously he's not privately praying in his prayer closet where, I mean, he is, facing public ridicule and humiliation and shame clearly. Yeah. And we have to do that as communities too. And, and if we're not willing to do it, if we prize our dignity and our comfort more than we desire new life and healing, then, you know, we'll get it. Like we're not going to get the healing and new life. We don't ask for, Yeah, I just, we won't. So um, I, I like that story. I mean, I just feel like I, I often pray small prayers mm. because I just don't, I don't, I don't want to deal with the reality of them not being answered in the time frame I want or the space that I want. And so to, I, I just, I really, I mean, Bartimaeus in his weakness yeah. is such an incredible model for us. Well, and believers. it also points to the reality that in small urban congregations, there is a kind of messy spirituality that you have to face that. Frankly, you don't have to face it. If you're in a large suburban megachurch, mm-hmm. you can come and go and not 
have to um, encounter a Bartimaeus. Well, and I also, like I think you know being able to say in our in our churches there's some there's some discomfort and there's some real need and lack mm. and it's about on the one hand saying I'm not going to apologize for that mm-hmm. but I also am not just going to say oh well this is the way it has to be forever right, right. and so right. so both sort of saying I believe that God wants to bring new life and vitality and health to this community and wants this to be you know, a well of living water and wants people to find healing and wholeness and new life here. And so to the extent that that's not happening, I'm praying mm. for healing and I'm praying for miraculous deliverance. Um, but I'm not ashamed of where we are, but I'm also not satisfied with it. And so, yeah, that's good. you know, because I think sometimes we get into a certain space and we just have our excuses and like, well, this is just all that can be expected from mm. a church like ours or a church with a mission like ours. And that is, is, crap. <laughs> Bartimaeus <laughs> knew that he was blind and he knew that God created people with sight and he knew that God had the power to restore it. And he yeah. knew that if he wasn't going to get it, it wasn't going to be because he didn't ask for it. Right. So yeah. just, and yeah. I think we talked earlier about like, look, either we pray these bold, visible, annoyingly loud prayers for healing. And if we get it, that glorifies God, right? Mm-hmm. Cause we came from weakness and not from strength. But if we don't, if it's not answered in a visible way, still our asking for it proclaims the God we believe in, right? We yeah, believe in Bartimaeus a God. Bartimaeus knows something. He believes something. He trusts in something about Jesus, which right. is why he calls him the son of David. That he, Jesus has the power and the goodness and I, kindness. I was going to say compassion, but yes. Right, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. so I think for us to be able to say no, I mean, and I, I think about this a lot, like, it makes me sad, and in our particular denomination, it just seems like we are going down the road where Presbyterian churches are going to be for rich white people, like for mm. rich suburban white people. And I, and in spite of, I think the denomination at this point really identifies on a social justice theoretical level with, you know, the marginalized and the poor, but we have just become satisfied that like this is just what has to happen in order for a thriving church to exist. There just has to be a certain amount of social capital, which means you need a certain amount of people from a certain income level. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. this is just the way it is. And I refuse to accept that church is only for rich white people. Do you think we're there because we don't want to be, or we don't want to tolerate a Bartimaeus? Oh, I think absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we, you, it takes, Will it is uncomfortable to be in a church with not not only racial but economic diversity, right? Yeah. It's uncomfortable yeah. to sit in a church pew and know that I can go to the grocery store and buy whatever food I want for my children, and I'm sitting in a pew with somebody who may be getting evicted next week. And that yeah. makes me ask really uncomfortable questions about what I believe, what I say I believe about mm. Jesus. And I think that discomfort is really holy and really healthy. But when we want, but when we want to be comfortable, mm. then we often, you know, tell people like Bartimaeus to shut up. Right? And that doesn't, you know, you, it just is not comfortable to be in a church outside of um, in an unhomogeneous church. Yeah, one of the fall. things I appreciate about the uh, the spiritual lives of people who are struggling or suffering, that there is a kind of holy desperation that causes them to um, not care if things are decent and in order. Because right. they're right. just trying to get to Jesus. right. 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 So if I need to shout out in worship, I'm going to do that. Right. Not in a showy or. Right. Right. 
I'm not trying to impress way. you. I'm right. just. I'm not trying I'm not to thinking impress about you. you. That's right. I'm thinking about God. I yeah. know. I somebody yeah. said something on social media about like. I mean, on another level, when people who say I'm not that interested in politics, what they're really saying is I'm going to be good either way. And I think when we are just satisfied with wow. our small dying churches, what mm-hmm. we're saying is like, I know I got mine. Mm-hmm. And if other people don't hear about Jesus, that's fine. Mm-hmm. And if other people only get to watch worship on TV, that's fine because my kids get to grow up in this multi-generational amazing community or my kids get to go to youth group and have a youth pastor. So yeah. I'm good. Yeah. And that, being, but being when you are desperate for something then you're not worried about disrupting the status quo because the status quo is not acceptable to you. And I think as I work on Mark 10 this week, and frankly, as the text works on me, I think one of the places where I just need to go is how this affects my own leadership, right? Because mm-hmm. we've, we've had a certain level of training. Um, we know how to do some things. Yeah. But there's this area where we are blind. Right. And am I willing to cry out? Am I willing to be disruptive in such a way that it might cause the people in the congregation to reject me? Right. We, we liked you until. Or or our colleagues or. Or colleagues. That's right. Right. How much do we want to save face? Right. right, Before our colleagues. Or if I tell the truth about my church and places of dishealth, um, and if I'm not satisfied with my church, then everybody around me can't help but wonder what I think about them. And, I, and I'm not mm-hmm. thinking about anyone else. I am thinking about the church that yeah. I have been given the responsibility to shepherd and steward, right? But, mm-hmm. I mean, I just think Bartimaeus, like, who knows who else in the crowd had some sort of disability, wow. some sort of impairment. And when Bartimaeus is there unashamedly asking for healing, mm-hmm. it forces everybody else to answer the question, well, what, you know, what am I not asking for and, and why? Or what am I accepting? And, you know, so I just, I mean, the reality is um, Bartimaeus is, is being totally vulnerable about saying, I want something and I'm totally vulnerable to whether or not God will give it to me. I can't can't do it for myself. Um, yeah. And that is something that's really hard um, if you have some agency in the world right. as it is, mm-hmm. um, which is why we said before, like the first will be last and the last will be first because the first are last because they don't get in line. That's right. Yes. What yes. the world as it is, is working for them. So they're not up for signing up for a brave new world. That's but right. people who are last in this world are first in the line to seek the kingdom because yeah. they know that the status quo has got nothing for them. That's right. And we have to be people who are so hungry for the kingdom that we're willing to not fit in, in the kingdoms, the culture. And that that's a challenge for those of us who were born with a lot yeah. um, or have acquired yeah. a lot. So yeah. I'm excited. That's I wish good. I were preaching part of it. Well, yeah, I'm excited about the text. So <laughs> yeah. what are you preaching this Sunday? So I am week two of our sermon series on Joseph. Um, and so this week is Potiphar's wife. Um, Ooh la la. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I, every year. Hashtag me too. Right. This is, so this, this, I believe that the Holy Spirit um, was with me when I put together the preaching schedule for 2018 back at the end of 2017. Mm. And so November of 2018 was always going to be the life of Joseph. And so obviously um, I read Potiphar's wife differently. Um, given the context of Me Too and Kavanaugh. And so I I have to address that and I will address that. But I also, like, that is not primarily what I 
the message I want to draw out of that sermon. So I think, you know, just to start, I want to acknowledge that, yes, in this story, there is a false accusation against a man. Mm. And that does happen. Um, But in the majority of cases that human sexuality is mentioned in scripture, it is women who are being objectified and you know, or just out and out raped yeah, by yeah, men. And yeah. so the majority of times, it's not even called rape. Like it's just the status quo. So when Abram gives away Sarai twice to right. different pharaohs, yeah. when, um, you know, Tamar is, you know, molested by her father-in-law, when, I mean, just, you just name the people, the women, and often they don't have names, lots, mm. daughters, you know, being thrown out to the crowd and Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, don't hurt these men, but yeah. here, take my virgin daughter. Right. I mean, so the majority of the times that human sexuality is mentioned in the narratives, it is women being exploited by men. So, yes. So in the preaching moment, you're going to name that. I am going to name that. And I'm going to say, yes, this happens, but understand the context in Mm. which this happens. Mm. Um, And that, honestly, the problem is so big uh, that we're blind to it and we're willfully blind to it and we don't want to be healed to Mm -hmm. it. Right. We Mm -hmm. don't want to see how fallen the relationship between men and women are even good men. You know, David's a hero and yet he rapes Bathsheba. He just does. I mean, a king cannot call one of his subjects to the castle and then get consent. right? And that's just not, and you know, we don't even recognize it. Right. And we feel like, and people still tell the story that Bathsheba was a whore for bathing on the roof. Right. Because her fault, she did, she asked for it. But God recognizes it, right? Yeah. And and so, anyway, so I, I need to name that. Um, but then I think the major point I want to make in the preaching moments are two. I think that we need growing maturity in the church about righteousness and suffering. Um, and so two things. One, just looking at Joseph, the life of Joseph, over these four weeks, I want to say, again, as I've said before, the Bible is not a comic book. And so these people mm. in the Bible are not the heroes. They are not the point. Their lives are a canvas that we look at to see God. And so what we're looking at is not the character of Joseph, but the character of God. And what kinds of people does God get invested in? And so Joseph is just such a mixed bag. He has moments of righteousness and moments of great unrighteousness. He is complicated. And we don't like complicated people or complicated situations. But there's only one hero in the Bible, and that's Jesus, right? And so... Um, Joseph, in this first part of the story, you know, gets sold into slavery, not to blame the victim, but I mean, he creates out of his immaturity, so we can have, you know, sympathy towards him, but out of his immaturity, he creates enmity and exploits enmity between himself and his brothers. And that enmity Mm. that he sows um, bears fruit in that he gets sold into slavery and he reaps that. And so part of it is, you know, he's in this place of great suffering as a slave, in large part because of his own unrighteous behavior, right? And so sometimes we suffer because of our own unrighteousness. But then here in the very same story of the very same life is Joseph who has an opportunity or his his slave master's wife propositions him and he says no. And he says, why? He says, my slave master has dealt fairly with me and I'm not going to betray him in this way. And it's important also to get the timeline straight. You know, Sinai hasn't happened yet. So there's no 10 commandments. It's not like he is observing God's law about adultery because that has not been written yet, but he, he says no. um, And that is an act of righteousness on his part. And 
it causes him great suffering yeah. because she makes a false accusation against him and he is thrown into prison and he suffers terribly. And I think the place that I want us to have deeper maturity as a congregation is to say, you know, we pursue righteousness, not because we're trying to earn God's favor or love, not because we're trying to earn our way into heaven or because we're afraid of, you know, burning in hell, but because we see and delight in what is righteous and, and we trust God's judgment better than our own. Mm. And so we pursue what is righteous, but we have a right expectation that sometimes that will lead to immediate flourishing in our lives. And sometimes doing what is righteous will cost us Suffering. a lot. And and so I think we have this really naive idea that good people prosper and bad people suffer. And that's so convenient because then that means whenever we see any suffering in the world, we can say, hashtag not my problem. Yeah. <laughs> if, yeah. you, yeah. if only yeah. you had, yep. this is not my responsibility. But sometimes people suffer because they were righteous. And so when we are at a fork in the road and we see that one decision might cost us something and cause us suffering. I think in our naivete, often we think, well, God would never ask me to do that. Right. <laughs> you know? yeah. And the reality is God would ask us <laughs> to choose what is righteous, mm. even when it costs us something. I think Jesus said something about picking up a cross. I feel yeah. like I read that somewhere. Mm, somewhere. Somewhere. It, yeah, <laughs> so it's in the text somewhere. Suffering, you know, sometimes we choose what is righteous and it causes us to suffer. But the caveat is that, look, it seems to me that we're suffering either way, right? So whether when we do unrighteous things, it causes suffering. When we do what is righteous, sometimes it causes suffering. And in Second Peter, you know, we hear this teaching that if you're going to suffer, then make sure you're suffering for righteousness and not for unrighteousness. And I think just having a sober mature understanding mm. that we will suffer in this lifetime. Not suffering is not an option. The good life at a great price. That's a Walmart slogan, <laughs> not a gospel slogan, right? So <laughs> suffering's on the table. So let's make sure that when we suffer, it tells a story that glorifies, mm. not us, but that glorifies God. And, you know, when we choose comfort, I mean, yeah. just going back, like when yeah. we choose comfort at all costs, then we are not conforming our lives to the gospel. So I think those are kind of the two main places I want to go. Reminds this. me of um, the place in John where Jesus says, you know, I'm the vine, my father is the gardener, and every branch that doesn't produce fruit oh, yes. gets cut, and every one that produces good fruit cut. gets cut. So, <laughs> yes. yeah, you're going to suffer. Right, and actually... Yeah, I mean, we just did this whole thing about spiritual pruning, and we just don't understand that as the body of Christ. We think if we're doing right, it's going to be all, you know, it's going to be candy land mm -hmm, for us. Mm -hmm. And that is not a, a realistic picture of the world. And and we can't do anything. Um, we can't, we say we want God to use us, but if we say, God, use me, but don't allow me to suffer, yeah. then we're really saying, God, please let me sit on the bench. <laughs> so. yeah, what I like about um, where you're going with the text is that it places us um, um, in a spot of, of humility and, and grace toward other people, right? Because yeah. we're all a mixture. And that's just the reality. And so I don't have to label you as whatever negative thing or whatever good thing. I can just receive you right. in your full humanity as a mixture of 
good and bad. Well, and I think that is the point of looking at somebody like Joseph and saying, you know what he is? He's not a hero. He's not a villain. He's a human. Mm -hmm. And he's deeply flawed. And he's also deeply gifted. And God's providence is at work in his life. And the same can be said about all of us. So however I encounter you, if I encounter you in your giftedness, I can give thanks to God for the glory of God I see in it. And if I encounter you in your weakness and in your flaws, I can give thanks to God for your full humanity and that God is involved in your life like in mine and that change is possible. So I'm excited for that. We said that we were going to be really careful about timing this week. So I just want to point out that we have talked for more than 20 minutes. Wow. So maybe what we need to do is pick either what we're thinking about or what astonishes us and wrap it up. Let's talk about what we're thinking about. Okay. What are you thinking about? I am thinking about... um, Culture change in our congregation. Uh, yesterday had the first of what we're calling soul conversations, soul care conversations uh, with our elders. Basically, that's time for me to meet one-on-one with the elders of our congregation, just to have some spiritual conversation, uh, almost like meeting with a spiritual director. Um, I asked them several questions. Um, the questions are good. Tell everybody what the questions are. What's encouraging you? What's giving you energy and hope these days? What's draining you these days? Uh, what's, what, what are your challenges? Uh, third? Time's up. Oh, no. <laughs> time's up. Wow. Oh, no, continue. I'm just saying like, the timer went off. Right. Uh, third question. Um, how do you see God at work in your life? How can I pray for you? And um, the final question is, what, what do, do they want to ask me? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so that it's, it's mutual. Um, and it was really, really rich. And I, I, I'm, I was so encouraged by the first one and energized by the conversation and hopeful that this can be one of those places where we have real culture change in our congregation. Because so often what I experience, not only in uh, my current congregation, but in, in others, is that we have a hard time having spiritual conversation outside of the worship experience. Yeah. And if we, we being pastors, pastor yeah. and elders can have that conversation and then elders have it with members of the congregation, I just think that is revolutionary for us. And I think what that is an, is an embodiment of what we talked about last week. You are leading, not doing. Yes. And so that, yes. I'm, I, yes. I am inspired by that. Well, um, I, it went better than I thought and I timed it for, it was po- only supposed to last an hour, mm-hmm. and our conversation actually went two hours. Um, I just was so hungry. Yeah, yeah, and we had to stop. We had to say, hey, we'll pick it up next time. And you know what's so amazing about that is I realize that we often only create space for people to come and have those conversations with us when they're in crisis. Yes. And so what's beautiful about that is that you're yes. saying, like, you don't have, your world doesn't have to be falling apart in order for God to be really alive and at work, and we just have to notice. So I, I think that is really, really great. Um, and I will just say in closing, um, that what I'm thinking about is that this Thursday, I'm going to go, um, to this all day Andy Stanley event here in Charlotte. And I'm really excited. I'm really grateful to some, um, members of the church who've made it possible for me to attend. And, um, I just want to be really transparent about the fact that I, I think, um, I see what God is doing in the, in that man's ministry and Mm. in his churches. And I, um, I, 
I know, I don't spend all my life researching Andy Stanley, but I've read some of his books and listened to some of his sermons. And I know that we probably disagree. We do disagree about some social issues and and some of the ways that we emphasize, but I see a flourishing congregation. And I know you've said in the past that your sister is a member of his congregation and you've seen just the fruitfulness Mm -hmm. in her life since becoming a part of that community. And so I just am excited to go and to learn from him. And I am aware of how how I was kind of intentionally or unintentionally trained to be really open to learning from folks in other spiritual traditions, but to be really suspicious and defensive about learning from other brothers and sisters of Christ who are not in mainline denominations. Mm. And the reality is God is doing incredible things in other parts of the body of Christ. And I want to learn. Um, And I know that being willing to open, being open to learning from, um, you know, from some of the people who led us through the transformation process, even though in terms of social issues and in terms of women's ordination, you know, that was really hard. But recognizing that I wanted to lead a vital church, I wanted to do everything in my power to make a vital church be possible in this community that I'm serving. And so Mm -hmm. I am just not too proud to go and learn from anybody. And I have been, thanks to my denominational ordination process, you know, been the beneficiary of all kinds of practice and learning critical thinking skills. Mm -hmm. And so I can go in and, and listen and receive and take what is good. And I'm, you know, I just, I, I, I want to be really transparent about how unashamed I am to learn from him or from, um, Tim Keller or from you know, just mm, anybody yeah, um, because yeah. I know and I know that most people agree with me none of us would ever be so foolish as to say God is only at work in the world through mainline Protestant churches I mean we would never be that dumb we would never make that theological statement but, but functionally yes we don't we you know there's only certain books we read and only certain conferences we go to and only yes. certain styles of worship that we will even consider and I just I'm I'm not here for it. And yeah, so I'm I'm really good. excited to go and learn from him and I'm thinking about just how much stronger mm. and more vital and healthy our church, which I love and which I think has things to offer to the world, we would be so much stronger if we could just admit that we're blind in some places. I was about to say you're <laughs> Bartimaeus crying out. Bartimaeus Whoa, yes. and just recognizing that you can't Go keep going to the same places for mm. answers if there's no evidence of health in those areas. So there's just wow. so much I can learn from my Presbyterian brothers and sisters and from my mainline brothers and sisters, but I'm not going to go to them to learn about how to build a, a multi-ethnic church. I'm just mm. not going to do it. And I'm not going to go to them to learn about, I want to serve a growing church that's making disciples of Jesus Christ. Yeah. That is what I feel that I'm called to do in yeah. this world. Um, and so I want to go and learn from someone who is doing that. And then I want to bring it back in my context with our core values and mission. And I'm excited about that. And I'm super grateful for the opportunity and I'm thankful for the faithfulness of all the parts of the body of Christ. So that's what I'm thinking about. We're out of time. That's good. Yes. We're out of time. (laughs) So thanks. Yeah. Bye.